So, are you curious? Codex. I am your ardent enthusiast, Kyle Olson. You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. The time has come to assemble the crew. Mandy Fabian takes us through the process of picking her elite team to make her movie. From assistant director to wardrobe, casting, sound, and the rest. And the most important question, how are you going to feed them all? Chapter 12. Make it a playground. All right, so uh, we got the money. Mm-hmm. We have the location. Yep. Uh, we got the cast. Yeah. So it's, you're so you're everything's yeah, going together, but yeah. obviously it's going to take more than just uh, you and a camera to do this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so tell me about uh, the, everybody you you put together, like your your dream team that you put uh, to to help with that. It's like how, where does it? I guess who do you start with? Oh. And then how do you how do you pick? The first person that as a director that you have to find is your DP, your director of okay. photography. So um, what we did is I had collected some people that I had followed. So when I went to these short film festivals or um, various kinds of festivals, when I saw somebody with a really cool aesthetic or that handles um, material in the way that like – Looking for that balance of, oh, they know what it feels funny (laughs) and (laughs) it looks really cool. But the way that it looks is not superseding the content. Right. So it's it's okay. Oh, it's not just it's not flashy. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, you see, uh, you know, DPs have these really cool shots and stuff, but it's like, eh. Now I'm paying more attention to how it's shot than I am the character in the stories, right? So whenever people did something that's brutally, graciously, amazingly funny, but also cool looking, those are the people that I would put on a little list on my phone, right? Just kind of track their Uh. careers and follow them and stuff. So, um, and I'd worked with a bunch of DPs. uh, And, you know, so I, I, I had people that I was like, oh, I really, you know, I like the way they... You know, so I start. You start asking around people that you've worked with. You see who's available, um, and then also I met with some other people that um, that uh, my agents had. They knew some people, right? So they oh, they okay. sent me people from their agency too, and I ended up so, uh, working with one of the women who was at my agency, uh, and it was really interesting. Like I, so um, so I met with all of them on Zoom because it was still, you oh. know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And maybe you would anyway. I don't know. But uh, I really didn't know what I was doing. I learned through the process <laughs> of interviewing several DPs because I okay. really was like, uh, you know, how, how do you it's like, you know, I didn't know I've interviewed directors to direct something that I've written like one time in my life. And I knew what impressed me. I knew what made us hire the guy that we hired. Uh, and that yeah. was that he came in and he just like acted like he had the job. I mean, he he huh. already was like problem solving and talking about casting and where he would shoot it and how he would shoot it and, you know, people that he knew in that area. It was like, he just kind of, there was no like, do you want to hire me? It was like, and when I do this job, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and I don't know how he did it. It was this magic thing. He cast a spell on us that was like, well, obviously he's the guy. And he had a great resume to back him up. So, but so. Yeah. And, and it worked. It did. He wasn't. Okay, so he wasn't just blowing smoke. Like, uh, he delivered on all the, the things that the, he... No, the movie never got made. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. That was... Uh, <laughs> but yeah. these things happen. You know, yeah, but in terms of getting the job, yeah. he was going to be the guy yeah. who did it. So when you when you go to meet these people, then have you done homework on their stuff? Like, do you, have yes. you actually, you know, you're going to meet the person, you've actually gone and looked at some of their things yes. to, to get an idea of what their eye is Usually like? Usually they have a reel. Um, you watch okay. their reels uh, with the case of the woman who I ended up working with. She had two features and a short, mm. and I watched all of it. And the thing that caught me about her, and this was interesting, there were different needs for this um, thing because I needed to have a rapport with them. I needed someone who was comfortable camping in the woods, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. And while we yeah. were we were in cottage, like we had cabins, it wasn't like. 
I wasn't asking anybody to sleep on the ground, but I needed someone who liked camping, who liked the idea of being in the woods for a couple of weeks. I needed someone who was good with a first time feature director. Right. Um, so I, I wasn't like at the, like when I said when in the beginning, I wasn't even sure what I was looking for, you know, because I didn't know the right questions to ask. But then so I figured out what look, what comps sort of I felt like I wanted. I talked about the way Jean-Marc Vallée shot his stuff, um, which I really like the look and feel of that. If It's very non-invasive. He shoots with practical lights. Um, he started off doing, uh, he, he's shooting kids with uh, like autism. He did this documentary on kids with autism and like you can't block that. You have to sort of catch that as it goes. So he learned the style of shooting that he really likes where he creates a space where the actors are king, right? And queen, respectively. Um, that that he he wants to be able to light a space and make it a playground so that the actor can be as organic and get in the flow and we can stay in that flow. And I had had enough experience on uh, multicam sets and, and in theater that there is a certain, you know, not that Look, every professional actor should be able to keep up their energy. But with comedy, if you are constantly having to stop and start and tweak lights and adjust and tweak and tweak, nobody can get into that flow. Like on my second short film, I remember like there was only one moment where like, you know, I was like, we have to stop tweaking the lights. (laughs) And then they got into the flow and I was like, that's what it is. They need that. They need that. Let's do it. And then you say cut and everybody busts out laughing and then we do it again and they, you know, come up with something different. And then you say cut and everybody bursts out laughing. Like it needs to have that feel of a fun playground. So I wanted to incorporate that Jean-Marc Vallée sort of let's make it feel very real and very present and let's let's prioritize the actor's experience for this. So huh, okay. that was something I knew. And then, like I said, I had looks of like I loved Captain Fantastic. I loved the way that that movie, it looked so beautiful and it was in nature, but it felt grounded. It didn't, you know, it was it was very grounded, but beautiful. So it wasn't like gritty, ugly it was it was just shy of coffee commercial, you know, um, beautiful, really accentuating the beauty of nature while also feeling very real. Does that make sense? So would you would you go out and sort of like look at movies to try and find the look that you wanted? Or is it more like you're watching movies anyways and you go, that's that's the kind of thing. And you'd sort of make a note. The thing that got me turned on to Jean-Marc Vallée first was Wild. I watched that movie and I was like, the look and feel of that, I love. So through the years, as I watch movies, I would write down a movie. I have a notepad on my phone, whatever. And I would write down the titles of things that I was like, I love the way that looked and felt. So that when I when I go to do a project, I can go back and look at that and go, what was it about that movie that made me feel this, right? And the and the way that they handled wild the nature shots and the just the tone of it, I love the way it felt. Um, so that was that was another visual reference. And then what happened was interesting is most of the DPs, well, the ones that ended up being being in the running for the job, like showed up with a lookbook. Oh, so okay. they also and they would like on Zoom, they would just hold it up and then sort of. Or share the screen and show me what they had ah, put. They, okay. they would put together with something like a slideshow. Yeah, having read the script, they they were like, "Here's what I here's what visual images came to my mind. Here's how I would shoot the story. Here's how I would prioritize the story." Or they would talk about the ones that really impressed me the most were the ones that talked about the story. Like, how do you? What's the best way to get in there? What? How do you want the audience to feel? Whose story is it? I would try to shoot like this to get it from her perspective and not, you know. Um, and that was very, I learned a lot from listening to all these people talk. They they all had different ideas that were great, you know, uh, because they're DBs. They have a totally different perspective on things. Um did, did you find that you could answer all the questions they asked for you? Or were you sort of like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And you have to be like, oh, that's interesting. Let me babble for a minute while I think of the answer to you that. You know what's so great? I have gotten to a point now where I understand it's not a weakness to not know something right away. Ah. That I I no longer feel like I have to BS. 
<laughs> if I don't know or if I haven't nice. thought of something, that's only flattering to the person who I'm working with, right? Like, thank you for that. I hadn't considered that, and I will think about that, you know? Um, I didn't. I never really felt like I got caught with my pants down because also— I was very open about the fact that this was my first feature, but I've shot a lot of things. It's just that this was way more, if anything, because I was doing shorts and we were shooting on the weekend. It was a couple days at a time and we're scrapping things together. This being something that I had written, that I got to cast and that I got to like, you know, really go all out, you know, go big or go home. I I really had to push myself harder to, to make it more artistic and more, you know, uh, personal and really, really think things through because I knew I was going to be tired and, you know, it's a really intense experience. So I I definitely also wanted somebody who had worked with first-time feature directors. I think I said that. That was a big thing for me. And then some of the DPs had in their lookbook some of the visual samples that I had already written down that were oh, ideas, nice. which was really nice, right? There was, it was, yeah. it was really down to two people and they were both great. God, they were both great. And they both had samples in the, in the lookbook. And then ultimately, you know, I chose Sev because we had a really nice rapport in the meeting. It was an odd choice because she had not really done comedy. Um, but she had a great sense of humor <laughs> and, and the truth is her movies were so intimate. Uh, what I liked about them is she had worked with very, very low budget. And that was an obstacle that that I felt in a lot of meetings where DPs are always like, well, you know, what do you when you say no lighting, that's not really a thing. Right. Like we're going to. Right. You know, and they were very sort of resistant to this idea of like if I gave you, you know, a roll of masking tape and some spit, could you make this movie with me? Right. If we shot it on, you know, on a Sony A7S, like, could you make this movie with me? And I wanted because we really didn't know how this was going to unfold. I wanted somebody who's like, I love this story. I'm a creative, you know, goddess, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the best version of it while also fighting for the best possible option. And she had that nice balance. Um, and, you know, she had movies, like her movies have been in Toronto and Sundance. And like, I mean, she's, you know, she's a seller. She's one of the first female DPs from Kosovo. And that was, it was the, it was our rapport. And it was the way she talked about the story. I really felt like I am the director. I am the protector of the story. I am the keeper of the story. And so the fact that she was so touched by it, she was very moved by it. She, as a feminist, she was really into this idea of she really got the 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 suffering, uh, the internal struggle that our main character is having, even though it's a comedy, she got the dramatic side of it as well. And and this movie has both. So there was something about that that I really I really liked. And so she ended up being my partner and it, it turned out great. She was she was so and she was very gung ho like me. Like what I liked about her was there's all these things when you you know, there's always the fantasy of like, we're going to do a movie. And then there's you know, even with actors, you know, you're you're negotiating and then suddenly like you're not hearing back from an actor's lawyer or manager or whatever because they're like, no, they want to make sure that you're going to have fresh brewed coffee for them in the morning. And you're like, wait, what? You, for, you forget that it's a business and, you know, but yeah. I could feel from her that she was very like, listen, you know, it's you and I, we're a team. Like there was not going to be any kind of well, I don't do this and I don't do that. She was like, I'm in it to win it. I'm yours. Like, we could start working tomorrow. And that's what we did. And it was very comforting and great. And she wanted to go look at the location multiple times. Like, I was even lazier than her as the director. I'm like, it'll be fine. <laughs> She's like, nope, you and I are going to get in <laughs> She's already planning out shots. Yes. Know, like, we can shoot this way. We can cover this. Oh, we, can... we did so much prep. And that was actually, I. that was the other thing, too. She's like, I am an over-preparer. And so that That's what that was want. absolutely what I wanted because also I needed to learn from her, right? And yeah. that yeah. was great. So we, she and I drove up to that location, even though it was two and a half hours out of town. We would sometimes wow. go up and back in the same day and we... you drive together? Yeah. Yeah. We okay. stepped it out. We looked at all the possibilities. We had the camera out. Did you get a road mix that you could listen to on the way? <laughs> no, we jabbered. <laughs> We just talked. <laughs> you got work to do. You're planning out the. You're planning I out felt the very lucky that we got along as well as we did. You know. 
it was yeah. I really she really did feel like an instant friend. You know, we got into it That's certainly great. on set. You know, there were times we can talk about that later, but <laughs> but choosing her, those were all the factors of of interviewing her. It was all those things. Really, it was like I I got something from her material that I thought. That's what this movie needs. It needs to feel intimate. It needs to feel like you're part of this group. You need to be right in there, and it needs to be focused on the actor's performance. Okay. So you so you get her. You lock her down. Mm-hmm. Then so when, uh, what's, who's next then? Uh, I'm trying to think what the big... You you want to... Well, for this movie... I mean, like, in your, in your list of priorities, yeah. I mean, like, obviously, because time and COVID and, and weirdness, Celia, you get who you get at the time you can get them. But like uh, in your list of priorities then after DP, what's what's next? After DP, the good news about a DP is usually they know people like they have their crew that they work with. Right. That was another thing, too. I every DP, because this is an ultra low budget film, I needed to know that they had crew that they loved, trusted, respected their work, who also knew that this was not going to be the job that you do for a big paycheck, right? Because we're managing a budget. So, like, that was another important factor. And she was an AFI grad, and she had all these AFI grad um, crew members. So she's the one who handled, like, the gaffer and the uh, grip and all of the electric guys. And she had a whole group of people that she had worked with before that she went to school with that she liked. So she handled that. Although we— Okay. Yeah. One of the things for you to worry yep, about. First AC. We did bring along a second AC who I had worked with on a short film that I did with Mandy June, the producer, and we loved her. Love her. And so um, <laughs> we had her come on to our our so that's how it works, right? We love this woman. She's amazing sure. and she can do anything. So you go, yeah, I know you have people, but guess what? We know her and she can do anything <laughs> and you're gonna love her. So in that way you wanna connect. Right. And and at, we're still yeah. at that point where we are like we're still trying to get women wherever we can. Like that's right. We tried to really, um, you know, get that get that keep that integrity because women need opportunities. Right. Especially sure. in the camera department. Um, yeah. So so that so the camera department sort of gets handled by the DP, even though we have to sort of OK and approve and hire everybody. She generally picks her team. And then for me, I pick um, hair and makeup, uh, wardrobe, um, production design, and uh, who else? Gosh, um, catering. (laughs) (laughs) You got to feed your people. Uh, Uh, So Mandy June knew a bunch of people in all of the – she's the one who found – she started finding crew members for me to meet with, right? So I met with wardrobe people, and I picked the one that – you know I had had Zoom meetings with everybody, and I was like, oh, it's her. She's the one. And again, um, we picked a woman who just had a great personality, was very confident, and she also had done movies at our budget level, and she had – and she – had great examples of her work and she just had a good vibe and we and she got me like it really was finding my tribe right like it was you know we I told her everything the background of the movie and what I wanted with the experience which was this is I get to make my first feature film and I want to enjoy every second so if you're ready you know, you, I don't believe that there are problems. I, th- I mean, I think there's solutions for every problem. Every obstacle is a blessing. That's how we're going to handle this. We're going to do this right. We're going to do it on time and on budget, but we're going to have a blast. And i that's the energy that I would require. And she was like, sold. Um, <laughs> yeah. you're like you're like I'm not Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna do 127 takes. Well, and you know, you talk about that. What, that was the interesting thing too. That I I discovered what I knew. It was that weird thing where like I'm having a meeting with a wardrobe woman, and one woman I could kind of tell just wasn't right for the part, and we had a very um, awkward, not awkward, but it was a harder meeting. And then when I met with her, I could tell she was a prof- professional. And then all the stuff comes out like. She's telling me about looks and ideas that she has for the characters already, right, at our first meeting. Okay. And then— Same thing? She had a book or yeah. she had a slideshow yeah, she was she had, like, through. looks yes. and ideas. And then, of course, I'm okay. like, oh. And now I'm riffing on her ideas because I know more than I—this is what I love about directing, right? I have these things in my head, but I haven't put them to language yet. Like, 
And then she comes along and she starts talking wardrobe with me. And all of a sudden, I know exactly who these people are. I know exactly how they dress. I know, I, you know, I, and I can give her getting to communicate that with somebody and play and have that grow organically between the two of us as we share ideas. It's like that next level right now. The script gets released and now she's going to build the look of what they're wearing and, and how that informs their personality. And it was the same thing with production design, right? That was the craziest, most fun part. We had a killer production designer on this movie. I mean, this girl was crazy talented. I cannot believe what she did. And she was so great at like, you know, she would go shop and take pictures and show me things. And she's like, so, you know, Mountain Lodge, are you thinking like this? And she'd show me these really kitschy, like hunting lodge kind of things. And and then she'd show me this other stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 this is more like glamping hipster. Like she's a Gwyneth Paltrow wannabe in the woods, not so much a like Bob Newhart show, you know, like she wouldn't take her fan yeah. Uh, family and friends to a place that looks like that. It's not that hipster. It's like more Gwynny Paltrow hipster. <laughs> um, so it was really fun to, you know, you have these meetings about the world and it, and it all starts to come into shape. And there's nothing more exciting than having a production designer or wardrobe person or hair makeup person or anybody who goes, well, I was thinking this, and they show you a picture, and it is like exactly what you've had in your lookbook <laughs> or what you have in your head. It's like really trippy. And and I, oh, this is the other thing I did that really helped me as I was preparing is I, I did a... Um, I did a Pinterest page. This this helped for this helped for um I did a Pinterest page of the movie. And then I do cast. So I had a whole casting page. So the casting director could look at that and look at sort of the prototypes, the ideas I had for different characters, which helps her know, oh, this is about the age range, like these are the looks, these are the types of personalities that she thinks could play these parts, you know. Um and then um I did that for every character, and then, of course, those characters have looks and ideas for their, you know, just wardrobe and stuff for them. And then also production design, like I have ideas for the wedding, and I have ideas for the, you know, the wine and cheese tasting scene, and I have ideas for this. So that was a great, great tool to be able to not have to communicate what's in my head, but just be like, and here's the Pinterest page. Were there any... First timers? Like, did you did you find anybody on the thing that you were sort of like giving them their their first shot at doing stuff in a feature? Um, hmm. I. Or did you set it up that you were the only first timer? I know, right? <laughs> um, I didn't. I don't think. Well, actually, I think maybe the production designer. This might have been her first feature. I'm not sure. Okay. I know she had done television. Um, I don't know if it was her first feature though. But she crushed it. But I, I don't know. The sound mixer might have been, it might have been his first feature because he was fairly new at sound. And I met him doing sound on my short. And, oh, okay. Oh, my God. He did, he did the thing that was like, it was unthinkable. So Mandy June was trying to hire sound guys. And it was a little tricky, you know, because, again, you're asking somebody to come camp in the woods, right? And we have a cast of 10 people. Like, there were so many scenes that had like 10 people, right? So we have this much budget, and it's a giant oh, right. job, really. And Yeah, and, and, he, and he knows that they're not, you're not going to have, you know, 10 deluxe mics yeah. that are going to be on for each but, person. But so all these other sound people were like, well, uh, first they'd either be like, no, no can do. It's impossible, right? You have to hire three of us. Or, you know, they would be like, no, I can do it, but it's going to cost you this and I need another guy, blah, blah, blah. And Nate was like, I can do it. And we were like, mm, we've asked six other sound sure? people and they've all said no. And I'm pretty sure this is your first feature. Like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, I can, I can do it. And then he explained how he was going to do it, and he explained that we were going to have to rent some equipment, blah, 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 blah. You know, he laid out his plan, but he was like, I can do it. And we were like, <laughs> fingers crossed, great. And by God, he did. And let me tell you, <laughs> with the exception of having to wait for sound a couple of times while he would move mics from one actor to another, my sure. the sound on that movie is pristine. He did oh. such a good job, and he... 
did what no other sound person could do. I texted him the other day as I was watching. I was like, you are my sound guy for life. I cannot believe what you pulled off. It was hugely ambitious and he was so calm and so effective and just, he was incredible. So that that was another guy that I, you know, had worked with before and I liked his energy, man. He just showed up with such good energy and the fact that then he also did a great job, I would work with him on anything. But So he was like your one-man sound department? Like he did all, all of, of it. it. He was the only guy doing the sound. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And then, um, but the most important, really, after your DP, these are all the department heads, right? And they all have their jobs to do. And you want to make sure that they're going to be able to do their jobs. But the really, really big one uh, was my first AD. Oh, yeah. That's your your right hand. Yes. And I have worked with many and I love, oh, I mean, I've, you know, they're, they're really are your saving grace. But, um, but I wasn't, sh- there was nobody that I knew that was available. Um, so we were, so Mandy had worked with this guy, Jeff Dubray, and she just swore by him. And I, you know, I was like, I met with him over Zoom and I was like, you seem great. And he had worked on, um, Oh, God, that's terrible that I don't remember the name of the movie. Oh, yes, it was Minari. He did Minari. Oh, yeah. okay. So okay. he had just come off this, like, really successful indie feature that was a crazy thing for him to schedule in really hard circumstances. And he's that guy. He's just done a bunch of, oh, you know, you you have no money, but you're passionate, and I love the script, and I love the director, and I, and I love the project. Let's do it. And he's afraid of nothing. And he's also really, he was a great fit for me because he is so chill. Ah, that's what you want. Well, Oddly, it's really not what you want. I mean, no, but here's why. The first AD, no, he was great. I'm not criticizing him at all. I'm just saying that a lot of first ADs, it really is their job to rip some rip some heads right oh right so yeah so you yeah you can be i i'm the good cop standing back and they can be the one yeah he's the one who you know has to make things happen and really like lock it down and and um we didn't have a have you ever had that job have you and you shadowed have you ever been a first AD or second no because it's a totally specific and separate skill set Okay. Um, okay. So it's not like a work your way up. Not thing. at all. Like you start a second, then you get first, and then you get to the big no. chair. Now, there's plenty of people who are capable of directing and who do become directors after being first ADs or second ADs, but but the actual job is not the same thing at all. Um, second ADs are helpful in um, communicating between what's happening on set and different departments, and and also uh, getting the getting the cast to and from set. So second ADs will be the ones who are like, so-and-so's in makeup and hair, so-and-so's a wardrobe, we're miking so-and-so, like they, you know, are generally, but we had, we had a second AD, but sometimes he was off doing some other things. So it was, Jeff really had to do a lot with like very little help. (laughs) And, and it was, it was really tricky because we were all spread out over this camp and, but he was so, he was really, really good. I mean, he taught me so much and that that was the best part too, is he had worked with first time feature directors. So he was, he was very helpful in, if I was getting upset about something or if I was worrying about something, I could go to him and be like, am I being irrational? Like, is this a problem or not? And he would say, like, no, you're this is good. <laughs> you should you you should be upset about this or like, nope, this is how it should look. And you're doing fine. Don't freak out. This is exactly how it always happened. Like, you know, he would just comfort me the whole way and made me feel great. And he also, you know, made it happen like the movie happened. He was so good at scheduling. Oh, so that's what the first AD does. OK, they schedule everything, which means they're the ones that say, these actors are going to work on these days, oh, and then this actor okay. has this day off, et cetera, et cetera. So then when you're like, hey, you know that scene? I want to reshoot that scene, or I want to add some shots or whatever. Do we have time in the schedule? And he's the one you know, who goes back and goes, yes, I left extra time on this day so we could put them then. Oh, that's their day off. So now we have to switch this so that they can still have their day off. And he has to understand everything about union rates and hours. Right. And there's a yeah. certain, like, there's a, you know, actors can only work, and really everybody, but like, you have to have a certain amount of turnaround. So if an actor works until one in the morning, then you can't have them until a certain time on the next day. 
I mean, he, like the Jenga puzzle that is a movie that he has to understand, it's practically (laughs) math. I mean, and he is so good at it and so, like, relaxed about the whole thing that, to be honest, I like, I was the one who was like, uh, really? Like, are are we really okay? Because you seem really relaxed, and this is a very big thing, you know? (laughs) I've never met anybody who's, like, more chill than me. So I was really, it threw me at first, but no, he he was so great. He was so, I couldn't have done it without him. It's just incredible. All right, so so then does, does he have a team then, too? Well, his team, he works, I mean, he talks with Mandy June, who is really the producer on set who, you know, she's the one who like, she's the one who, if we break a light or if we need another, we need a lens swap or whatever, she's the one who then manages getting that stuff done. So Jeff would go to her and discuss schedule. And if we're bringing in a new first AC, you know, there, there were, um, he would talk to her, but really he and Josh, who were the first and second assistant directors would, um, they were the team. They would they would put out the call sheet for the next day to alert people of changes. Uh, they, you know, Josh would be take over if Jeff needed to do something to prep or go off and do something. Josh would take over for a couple times to... And, oh, what the first AD does on set is he does the one, quiet everybody, rolling, rolling, you know, everybody quiet, and then the director says, action. Okay. Do, did you did you say? Action? I did say action. Okay, lot, did you? Okay. I'll say a lot of directors they have their own style of, of how they want to do it. Uh, you actually did the traditional. I did. It's it's just what I've learned, action. and it's um I don't know. It, I always make my days, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fix it if it ain't broke. Although I've heard that, I've heard <laughs> sure. I've heard people say like you know how much extra time to ha- say all those words like just you know like <laughs> oh i wasn't thinking about that way i was thinking i i read about um clint eastwood how because he came up during the time of westerns um all they had horses all the time and the horses were also actors and they had learned that when someone yells action they go <laughs> and so so a lot of times they had to not say it to do that and so he learned oh you know just like just like horses Sometimes actors need to be soothed into too. So he stopped saying action when he became a director and he would just like, uh, all right, camera's rolling. So yeah, yeah, whenever you're ready. And he would just sort of sit back and like the, it was going and like it would allow the actors to sort of go. And he still does. I mean, he's still directing now and that's his style. And I've always thought that was interesting because I always think of it as, all right, you're running and going in action, you know, to try and get that intensity like right at the start. I was just curious what your philosophy was. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I saw a director, one of the first directors that I ever watched, who did not say action. He just said go. Okay. Um, And, you know, it was fine. It was fine. And I thought, oh, that's a cool thing. Maybe I'll try that. And then it's a weird... I didn't find that people responded to that very well. I mean, because there's something about action... It's almost because it's the thing that that everybody says that it's like it's a cue that now it's your time and you don't have to think about it. You're not really listening to the literal word anymore. It's like you hear that thing and now you go off into your trance state. And if you're going to say something different, it's a little bit like, oh, what was that? Oh, right. That means action. You know, I I have found that it's an extra layer of translation because now that we've all agreed it's just action, cut, action, cut, action, cut, we can just get we don't have to reinvent the wheel and everybody's used to it. So there's a certain, that was my experience anyway. Um, that's the thing too. Like what Jeff does is he's in the walkie and he's talking to everybody on set. So when he's saying rolling into the thing, he's talking to everybody all around, like locking down the set, making sure everybody knows we're rolling. So no one's starting a car, having a water balloon fight, you know, like everybody knows what's going on. And then when we say cut, 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 you know, now, you know, now we've cut. Now you can bring that craft services table in because you're not going to be ruining the shot, stuff like that. And you did, and you did cut. So you did traditional action and then cut. I did. Again, it was just, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm the worst though, because I, I would actually, forget to say cut and I would run in and start. Uh Sometimes I don't, would you keep rolling? I would. Because 
Okay, because I know digital, that's a different thing. You can just you can just yeah. let it run. Sometimes I did that, and then it turned out that I was a jackass because I just let it roll and roll, and <laughs> it was a dumb move, and I should have just cut. So there's plenty of that. Because it makes it harder for the editor. It does later. make it harder for the editor. But sometimes it's like, I don't want to lose the flow. I don't want to go through the whole, like, and cut, uh, reset. I don't want to give the DP and the whole gaffing team a chance to relight. And so you just go... Hang on. And you just if you just want to adjust one thing of a performance, and also it keeps that flow, right? They're they're still acting, right? They're not supposed to jump out of character. They're in the scene. I run in and like say something, blah, 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 blah. Okay, go, go, yeah, okay. And then I go back and action, right? And they will, you know, do a pickup. And then you do every, you know, every shot you have to slate a shot, which is always, I always would forget the slate on every short film I ever did. Thank God. Who uh, whose responsibility is is Weirdly, um, it's it's the first AC or the second second AC will do okay. the slate. Um, sometimes, uh, though, who brings the slate? That's the question. Oh. Um, it's a weird thing where like usually it's the sound person, but sometimes it's the camera people. It's like a weird. Some people have a slate thing on their phone, which I'm like, oh god. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. We used a electronic I- I- phone slate thing for my last short film. Like, oh, okay, I guess that's how we're doing it. Yeah, when I and I did my uh, short, that uh, I did the action and cut as well. Like, I, I, thought, I thought about that, and I tried to do the Clint Eastwood thing, and you're right, it just doesn't, it, I couldn't get it to work, because yeah. people were just like, are we, so are we going, or is it roll? I, I'd be like, oh, okay, so... But- you kind of need to, the people need to know, like when the camera's actually going. And I'm like, oh right, all right. Now I see why people say action. But I, I do sense. understand the impulse of it, and I will say it differently based yeah. on the scene. So yeah. there were, and that, when I'm directing audio, it's different too because it's rolling all the time, so you don't have to stop and start right. anything. So I usually, and so that's that's when whenever you're ready works. Right. So I can just do it. I can sit back and I know I can just cut out all the silence. Yeah. I played around with the timing and the like. I think I told you right before that big scene. I went up to the actors, and I said like, "Fuck these people. We don't care about these people, right?" Because I wanted to just <laughs> yeah. have them like not give a crap what anybody thought of them in that moment, and then. Uh, the, another thing that I would do if I was, and this is just kind of, but I was directing a, a pretty, like a dramatic scene. And uh, so we had it all set up, like everybody ready, camera ready. And then I went in and I went in and I put my hands on the actors, like on their backs and just like, I just let them know that I was there and we just like took three deep breaths and then I walked out and I waited a little longer and I was like, action. And it was, they locked in. I mean, it was a bold choice because I just wasted everybody's time. But what it did was because I disturbed the rhythm of it and I got, I let them know, this is your scene. We're going to go on your time when you're ready, you know, and just, just sort of taking that minute of this is this is your your thing you, you letting them know that i was waiting and and i was it was their choice to drop in and when they were ready they could do it you know it just kind of locked them in so they could also let go of their nerves that's a, just another version of fuck these people <laughs> <laughs> so i guess without without spoiling you know like the first shot then like your your first day first shot like where where in the movie is it? Oh my god! So God, our oh god, our first scenes were so not good. I mean, they were <laughs> no, they're great. Well, say, so I, I, am I jumping the gun? No. To, 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 I mean, the team is assembled at this point, right? Like, I, I don't oh wanna... no, no, it's all great. It, it's nobody's fault or anything. It's like it's just you can tell that we're no, no. I I, I just want to make sure that I'm not messing up your your storytelling in terms of like getting us to the oh, movie. Right. Like now, no, I think that's pretty much it. Like for us, we okay. oh well. Then there was catering, but how you're going to feed people? That's a huge right. part of it. Do you want to know what happened for me? Okay. Let's, yeah, let's talk. Yeah, no, let's talk about okay, food. Okay. Well, it just I'm always happy to talk about food. <laughs> it's not that big of a thing. We didn't have a lot of sure. money. We had a you know. It's part of it. Army marches on its stomach. Like you got to feed your people. So like what? So how? So how was this explained to you that like that you're responsible for the well, food? Look, I have been on many sets and I know that like you can have a low budget anything, but you cannot skimp on feeding people. 
everyone will be miserable and they will be angry and they will hate every second of that job. Whereas if you feed people well, then they're like, look at me, I'm living like a queen, right? Like, I mean, it's a weird psychology (laughs) thing, but if like there's more food than you can even eat, you feel like you're being taken care of, right? And once again, we have everybody stranded up in the woods. It's not like there's a restaurant they can go to that's less than a 45-minute drive, you know? So we had this really weird thing where we not only had to feed people for the hours they were working, we had to feed them for the hours that they weren't because they were traveling up to the mountains and staying at a camp with us. Like we had to feed people three times a day. And then on days that we were shooting, we had this weird thing where we would have like breakfast for like life breakfast, but then we would have breakfast, quote unquote, at one o'clock in the afternoon because that was the first meal of the day for the shoot 12 hours of shooting. And so I had no idea how insanely difficult this was going to be for the caterers when I asked my sister if she wanted to come and cook for 50 people (laughs) up at a camp. God bless. For for how many weeks? Uh, Two weeks. And now, God, because we we shot for 17 days, but the first uh, two days were at um, the first two days were at my house. So we could run to, you know, the grocery store. We could we could go get sandwiches and food for people and just have it there. Nobody right. had you were you were still within civilization. Yeah, nobody had to cook. We just ran and picked up food for everybody and brought it back. But then when we we're in the mountains, like it was them. They had to cook for fifty people. And my sister had worked in like um, you know, she ran a hospital, she ran a a, a kitchen, I think I think she did like oh, she did elementary school stuff. Like so she had experience with cooking for large numbers of people. And one of my best friends from high school dearest friend also cooked at a school so I was like the two of you any interest in working on a movie for two weeks and they were like hell yes and so they got together and like worked out a menu and everything and talked about ideas and they totally and then uh they they brought my sister brought like her best friend from San Antonio and he brought his daughter and then my niece came it was a total family affair it was yeah i was going to say you you know it's like you're opening a it restaurant it was unbelievable and it was so hard and i was like oh my god my sister's going to kill me oh my god my sister's going to hate me oh my god my <laughs> sister's never going to talk to me again and i i and, and at the end of it she was like i would do it again and i was like oh, so would i i mean we had so much fun it was so hard. It nearly killed us. And it was such a blast. But I I mean, I, I can never repay her for that. You know, and my other sister was taking care of my children, by the way, because my <laughs> husband and I were up doing a movie for two weeks in the woods. Someone had to take care of my kids, you know. So my other sister and my niece are taking care of my children while we're off being filmmakers. I mean, it was crazy. We were so lucky. Well, takes a village. It definitely took a village. So did they? Did she have to then get like everyone's like dietary requirements yes. and and likes? Or is, okay, so they have to get like what what do you eat? What don't you eat? All that every kind of stuff. meal had meat, vegan, and then dairy free and oh, gluten free. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, every, every meal. meal had to have all four of those options. Which was pretty, you know, we had we had we had all of it. There every possible da- uh, dietary restriction you could ever imagine. We had all of it. And then all their and people's favorite snacks then too, because you need to have mm-hmm. your snack table. Yep. yep, you had to have all the. They made them too. They made like these great. Oh, what are they called? They're those um, Texas. I'll have to. I'll have to ask my sister. Oh God, they're these great. Pastries, they they were amazing. Their food was so good. I when she left, you know, she left and she goes back home to Texas, and I was like, I I'll never eat that good again. Like, can you please just send me a couple of your recipes? Like, oh my god, oh their food was so good. It was in such good shape. I loved it. Yeah. Anyway, so that was how we had to we had to figure that out too because you got to feed everybody. So then, obviously, the camp was closed. Yep. Then you did you so did you designate like. This is a shooting area and this is a living area. Like these cabins are sets and these cabins are where you live. You know, we had this really great, um, it was this kooky thing. It was a decision that we made, but it worked because the interior, the actual interior of the cabins that were up there, um, they weren't. I don't know, they were bunk beds, like Boy Scouts would stay there, right? It wasn't like, it didn't feel super, um, like if you were having an upscale wedding, it didn't feel like the character would have her people live there, stay there. So we, but what they had were these two old, 
tiny log cabins that were completely empty inside, but had three walls and then no window on this front part. So it was like an empty sort of cabin set. And so, and it was perfect because again, COVID, right? These are the only quote unquote interiors that we have, but there were windows everywhere. So it was completely ventilated and we had somebody build us a dummy wall. So what my brilliant, brilliant, brilliant set designer did is she had this one cabin that she was able to design for four different looks by moving the wall and then just switching out the set dressing. Rearranging. Yeah. 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 She was unbelievable. And, um, and actually, and so then she, you know, who was helping her was my mom's best friend, a woman who was like my <laughs> junior high drill team instructor. Uh, she came up and volunteered to work on the movie for a couple of weeks, you know, and she was a genius and so helpful. Like, it was so crazy how it just all unfolded. I had so many, you know, but again, this was my hurrah. This was my, I don't know if yeah. I'm ever going to get to do this again. So come on, let's have a ball. Let's make a movie. And we did it. Okay, so when you're shooting, are you doing everything handheld? Are you are you locked off? Are you? We do all of it. Rolling um, on. We make okay. those decisions yeah, so based. Yeah, so that's what I was gonna say. Is that is that a DP thing? Like he says, these are the one I want. I want tracks. I don't know what that's called. Where you are, are rolling along. Uh, that's a dolly. Yeah, a dolly track. A dolly. So okay. We there didn't have that kind of money for like a big dolly track um we didn't ever lay down track and with the woods and stuff we did something that was more like a slider it was like you so you set up this uh like you know you set something up and then the the uh there's a rail that the camera can slide on it's only about 10 feet uh we use that quite a bit uh mostly that for the interiors for the more emotional scenes we did do handheld i really okay. and that's that's your DP mm-hmm. doing that? Or no, she you? did that. Uh, she prefers, she has really, really good instincts. And so for her, it's just she likes to be the one shooting, which for us was perfect because budget-wise, we didn't really have, there are a lot of DPs that are like, I'm a great DP, but you need a camera operator, and then I'm going to talk through the headset. And actually, uh, Sev, I feel like, and she, I think she would say this too, she worked way better when she could just hold the camera. And then I could... We would we would rehearse a shot and then she would just do it and and then when it, she was really good at just capturing things too like there's this great group scene where um, one of their old college friends comes in and you know we just I didn't really have specific coverage I was like I want this to feel like you're a guest at the wedding so I want you to look at the action and catch it you know so it's really great because you know people are walking in front of the camera and she's moving around with you know. It, um, looking down at the table, looking up, like it was it was really cool the way that she did it. So it depended on the scene and the shot. Sure. Uh, we did driving shots, you know, where the camera's inside the car. And then we had one shot where there's camera mounted on the hood of the car. And I hate driving stuff. And I don't know why I've written it into every movie I've ever done. It is the worst. It takes 10 times as long as you think it's going to take. And it's so hard because you're always cramped in the trunk of a car looking at a little monitor or you're behind in a follow car and your monitor stops working and so you're like I don't know does it look good I can't see it I mean it's just the worst but you know it it when you have a low budget movie with with two locations it can help to make the world feel bigger <laughs> so uh, when you're uh, like not not in the car when you're like in a traditional sort of you have the set yeah. you're on there are you mostly watching sort of over the camera's shoulder to see the performance or are you watching on the monitor to see what it's capturing or is it or does it just depend on the moment uh, eight times out of ten no nine times out of ten you're at the monitor it's just a more true you you need to be able to look at it like that because ultimately even though you know, you can if you're looking at their faces. Now, some directors are different, but for me, I feel like it, it's just different. Looking at their faces and seeing what they're doing versus how it's reading on camera, it's very important that you're looking at the monitor. To me, um, there were times though where it was too crowded and we didn't have a monitor, or I just didn't want to be. We couldn't put the monitor any place that was um, close enough, and I wanted to be. I needed to be closer. Uh, there were times if we were doing a steady cam thing, you know, it's moving too much. I can't, there's no way to have that monitor. So I had to set to walk behind 
the camera while we're backing up watching these things, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it kind of does depend. But but for the most part, yeah, there's a monitor and they have it. And there were times, oh, my God, I, I really was in the shape of my life because especially when we were doing there was there's a fun in games like a montage of everybody literally playing all these great games and they're all there's a giant there's like you know 17 20 people all like ah laughing and doing stuff and i'd have to run my monitor had to be way way back because it was this really big shot so i would go and look at the monitor and then i would run down and i would tell the i would direct like this people here and these group over here and this group over here and that group over there and then i would run back to the monitor and as i I mean i like it would be like up a hill and then i'd get to the top of the hill and i'd be like action and then they would do it and then i'd you know hold 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 and run i mean it was crazy so you didn't so you didn't have the bullhorn Oh, like, a bullhorn would have been... <laughs> Everyone's happy. Okay, go. <laughs> that would have been great. We did not have a bullhorn. We didn't even think of it. I lost okay. my voice probably halfway through the movie, but I managed somehow. <laughs> so so as, as you have people uh, doing all this stuff, who then is taking care of you? Ha! Like, do you have someone like to make sure that you're drinking and eating yes. and, you know, that you're keeping your energy up? Yes. Um... Everybody on that set was so lovely. The script supervisor was very good about that. Marina, she was great. And she's she's sort of my other right-hand man. Like, um, the first AD is communicating with all of the departments for me. The script supervisor is the one who's right next to me who is watching all the shots and writing them down. So when I see something, a performance, a take, a joke, that I'm like, oh, yes, that's what I want— I circle the monitor and give her a thumbs up or whatever. Like, I let her know I want to use the first half of take two and the last half of take three, right? Or I go, that's the ending. You know, like, I'll, like I, if I see things, I let her know. She writes that all down. She writes down, like, um, this take, you know, is blown halfway through because of an airplane. Or she writes all the details of everything that happens so that the, she gives it to the editor. And as the editor is putting the footage together, so if I do one of those jackass things where I'm like, let's just roll for 10 minutes, you know, and do a bunch of pickup shots. She's the one who tells the editor, if you're looking for the pickup shot of the hot coffee that lands on the ground, here's where it lives. It's in that seven minute uh, take. So she's writing your tent and she's writing time codes yeah. down at 52804. That's when yes, the. Yes. Wow. Yeah. She okay. helps uh, the keep a track of what is shot where. And she also does the thing where I, you know, am done with something and I. You know, I'm done. And she goes, hey, you never got a close up of this or you you never oh. got this line on camera. And she would say, do you want it? You know, and I'd either in that moment go, nope, I'm never going to use it. Not important. And we would move on. Or I would go, you know what? Thank you. I want to get that. You know, so if I forgot something or if I there was just something that I hadn't thought of or, you know, she was great because she would offer up, what about this? What about that? And I'd either say yes or no, but she has my back in that way. And she, there were times too, like even there were times when like I would, you know, come up with a shot thing and sometimes the DP would be like, no, 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 that crosses the line. And I'm like, I don't think so. Hmm. And, you know, Marina would either be like, yeah, no, it definitely crosses the line. Or she would say, hmm. no, you're fine. If you do this, this, you're fine. And so it was a, you know, you have a team of people who are protecting you and helping you and offering their opinions and stuff. And that's where we're going to stop the conversation for today. If you'd like to hear more of Mandy's voice, she's got her very own podcast. It's called The Mand Cave, hosting collaboration with her friend Mandy Kaplan. You'll find it wherever the finest podcasts are found. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the next chapter in the Curiosity Codex, but there are still many pages left to decipher. We're part of the True Story FM family of podcasts. Find out more about us at truestory.fm. Our theme music is Intrusion by Severed Personality, a.k.a. Kevin McLeod. The voice of the Codex is Vicki Hall. Find her on the web at vickihall.squarespace.com. And my name is Kyle Olson. The Codex is closed for now.